0: Welcome to the Millerville Community Church Podcast of our Sunday Morning Sermon Series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. MCC is a non-denominational country-style church, just a short 20-minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, Just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. We've been doing a wonderful series today. Uh, We've been wrapping it up. On Mother's Day, we started it. On Father's Day, we're wrapping it up. And we're looking at uh, family and the, the faith that families can have and how they can build on that. And uh, I've been giving you a few key points uh, that you can remember from each sermon. I met Mr. Timothy this week, and he came up and rattled off every point that I've been preaching on. So if he can remember him, you should remember him, right? So uh, we're going to put a cheat slide up so you can remember what they are. So uh, we've been going from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We looked at Mary's and Joseph and the birth of Jesus Christ. We've been learning that uh, the golden rules that you can build on your families are God's house, God's rules, God's house, God rules, God's house, God's choice, God's house, God's voice. And that's what we learned last Sunday God's voice in our midst as we become Anna's and uh, speaking out about uh, the blessing that children are in our life. I hope you found a a mom or a dad or a parent or last week and encouraged them to hang in there for they are raising up the promises of God in our children. This uh, I've been enjoying this so much, uh, digging deeper into this and learning so much from the Lord A lot of people think I know all this stuff, but actually I just the Lord shows me and I just go with it. So um, I'm just thrilled as I get to dig and uh, seek the Lord and uh, bring this message to you of what he reveals and what he shows along the way. And as we're getting down further into it, we're learning about uh, how important families are. I really think families are absolutely critical, especially the family of God, the children of God that are here today. Many have told me that you are... Uh, Letting other people in your families know about this series so that they can uh, read the message and hear the podcast, and uh, they can go online and, and listen to it, and they're being encouraged by it. So this brings me to our last message on Father's Day, and it's not to extol the fathers that are here, and I'm not here to scold fathers that are here. We're not going to do either of that or dads that you might have known in the past. Today we go back to the original father, the first father, the father of all fathers. And I'm not talking about Adam, because Adam was not the first father. We have uh, considered Abraham, we have considered Isaac, Jacob, Mary, and Joseph in the Bible. Now we find ourselves at the ultimate parent in Father God himself. And today we're going to learn one of our last and our greatest foundations of truth for a series. It's God's house. It's God's family. It belongs to him. Turn with me in your Bibles. If you've got them, we're going to the book of Ephesians. And we're going down to uh, chapter 3. And uh, as you skim down chapter 3, you'll find verse 14. And some of you have a paragraph break there with a title to it. And this is a prayer that is being made on behalf of Paul to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 on. Verse 14, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before my Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derive its name, that he would grant you, according to his riches of glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Do you know the difference between a biological father and a real father? This is a critical issue in our day, is to know the difference. In the 1960s, any of you remember the 1960s? Oh my goodness. I, to my children, anything before the year 2000 was dinosaurs. <laughs> right? The last millennium. But back in the ancient times, in the 1960s, we had a thing called the sexual revolution. I don't know if you remember that. But uh, during that age, uh, society tried to convince us that it was all right to do whatever you want sexually, that there were no more uh, cultural norms of forcing things called fornication or adultery or anything like that. Just go out and enjoy yourselves. Free love and peace and the hippie movement got going. That was a period, and it's been often described, I'm not the first one to describe it this way, as rebellion against God's rules. It was saying, we're no longer going to do what God says. We're going to do whatever feels right. And when you rebel against God's rules, the first principle we learned in this series, there are consequences. And since the 1960s, there have been millions of babies who have been aborted because of that principle and that rebellion. There have been millions of families shattered into pieces where children grew up without fathers. And this has led to economic disasters for all those homes as they went through those divorces and trials. And this has collapsed the moral code of our very culture in an all really got going back in the 1960s. One of the greatest tragedies of that age is the loss of what it means to be a father or to be loved by a father. And it has weakened our entire culture. Some don't even want to refer to God as father anymore because of what began in the 1960s. I tell you this because I'm old enough to know this history. Someday it'll all be forgotten. But that's where the rebellion began in full force. God is the Father, and he has created us. But there are many who don't recognize him to be their true father. Do you understand what I'm saying? He may come and say that he wants a relationship with us. He said, hey, I created you. I want a relationship with you. I want to be your true father But we have been raised in homes and in a culture that rejects God's rules, God's rule, God's choice, and God's voice. We don't want him in our homes. We know if we were to let God into our lives, he would bring all those truths we just listed with him. And we would lose our freedom to do as we please. Yet we won't admit a very terrible truth that everyone knows here today. And we know it in our hearts. Our homes are in ruins because God is not allowed to be our Father. Father God wants to be more than just our Creator. The One who made everyone. He wants to be the Fathers in our hearts. He wants to be a real Dad to us. And if he is not your father God, taking first place in your hearts, then he is not your true father. And you are lost in the rebellion that has seized this world. Jesus uh, encountered people in his day. They thought that just because of their birth, because they belonged to Abraham's descendants by DNA, that God was their father by birth. They thought they were in. I'm, uh, I've met uh, Americans in the United States. They thought because they were born American, they were Christian. I've met Canadians who think the very same thing. Well, I was born into Canada. I must be a Christian. And there are people who thought just because their parents dragged you to church, combed your hair, and told you to be quiet, you must be a Christian. And you, Father God, must be your father. Or... You might think the more liberal worldview, well, God made us all, then we're all his children, right? We all are created by him. We all belong to Father God. Uh, But that is not necessarily true. Verse 15 that I read earlier, it says, from whom every family in heaven derives its name. Now, you may have been created by God, but that does not mean that you have him as your father in your home and in your life. Jesus went to the people who thought, or the Jewish people who thought they were father, God was their father by birth in John 8, 42 to 42, and he said this. Jesus said to them, if God, if, important, whenever you read scripture, pay attention to the if, and then look for the then, all right? If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from God. And Jesus was being gentle with that. He wasn't just from God. He was God in the flesh. For I have not even come of my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my words. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. There are two fathers mentioned in the scriptures. There is God the father and then Satan himself, who is the father of many. And the one that we belong to is the one we love. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're going to learn to love one, and you're going to learn to hate the other. And these two dads are very different. Any of you here had more than one dad? Have you ever had to choose between dads? Have you learned to love one more than another? Have their agendas been very different? Well, there are Father God out there, and he wants to be your true father, but you can only do that if you truly love him. Every good thing we have received, if you got anything good in your life, do you have anything good in your life? If you have anything good in your life, it comes from Father God, including family. God is the original Father, not just in creating us, but in his love and his care and his careful attention to us. All over the world, people know what a father ought to be, right? When people go into therapy over the damage since the 1960s that has occurred to the family, one of the biggest issues they do in therapy is talk about their dads or the absence of their dads and they're angry about it. Have children ever be, been angry at a father? Come on, fess up. All of you have been angry at fathers. We've all been there. And it's because we all have a sense of what a father ought to be. And there have been so few examples of the perfect father since what 1950s tv when when was there an image of that perfect father fathers are made fun of or joked about or ridiculed and just bypassed completely altogether where did we get this universal understanding of what a father ought to be i would suggest it to you it comes from the original father it comes from Father God. We all know his goodness and his blessings in our life and we all hold all fathers up to that standard and we just think it's not coming through the way it ought to come through. If you've got a ought in your life, it's because you have a sense that things should be more than what they are. We all know this universally. We all have this ideal in our heads and our hearts because it's in our very DNA of what it ought to be. Love of a father and the care of a family began with God himself. He sustains by, that by God and will be brought to completion by God. One of my most favorite verses in the Bible is found in Colossians 1, 16 through 17, because it has a, a, a universal complete understanding as we answer why there is evil in this world. In verse 16 of Colossians chapter 1 says for this, For by him all things were created, including you, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created by, through him, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things Hold together. I remember leading a gentleman to Christ in Minnesota with this passage. It doesn't sound like an evangelistic passage, does it? But I said uh, he was struggling with why is there evil in this world? Why is there so much hardship and struggle and pain? If God is a good God, why is there so much evil in this world? And I reversed it with this passage. I said, Do you think there's any good in this world? Well, yes. You know, I said, I don't ask the question you ask. I ask, I can't believe there's any good in this world. And that it lasts. And that it's around. And it's still around. Because my observation is, things should rot, break, and die. Have you ever had to fix a fence? Has the roof ever needed replacing? And the foundations crumble? Has your body ever needed repair? And a little assistance along the way. As your eyesight slipped away? I've been in churches where people say, "Uh, Pastor, can you make the lettering on the screen a little larger? I can't read it, it's a little too fuzzy. Could you focus it better? Only to realize it's not the screen, it's your eyes. You notice that uh, some men start losing their hearing and they seem happier because they're not hearing everything as much as they used to. I'm surprised there's anything good in this world at all. The fact that there is good things in the world tells me that there's a God. Because it couldn't exist without his sustaining it. Against all odds, there is goodness in this world. All good things, including family, come from God. Evil is the taking of good things and twisting it to a different purpose intended by Father God. All evil flows from rebellion to Father God, breaking the rules and breaking his heart. Isaiah 63.10 says this, But they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he became their enemy. And fought against them. Hebrews 3.15 says, remember what it says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And that's what rebellion against God's guidance is. So it should be clear that although we begin with God, we have lost our way when we rebel against God. Today, Father God calls us to repent of a rebellious heart that are hard towards him, and come back asking for forgiveness. If we will do that through Jesus Christ, we can do what uh, the scripture describes as being born again and receive a new heart that wants to do God's will. Paul gets down on his knees and he prays in his war room in this passage that every person he meets and talks to will repent And their sins will be saved, it will be forgiven, they'll be saved and born again. He keeps praying that all of us will be strengthened with the power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man. And we need that power if we're going to be obedient to Father God and not in rebellion to him. That we want to know the redemption of our souls through the new birth. I want to be very clear on this, all right? God is not your father until you repent of your sins and ask Jesus Christ to forgive them. When you do this, Jesus will wash the sins away and give you a new heart by placing the Holy Spirit in your spirit so you can be spiritually born again. This new birth begins, and it's a new beginning in your life, to be born again spiritually. It's how we become a child of God and in the family of God. And there is absolutely no other way. To make God your father. And to break ties with your old dad. Jesus said in John 3, 5 through 6. Many of you probably know this verse by heart. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit. And it's a big S spirit. That means Holy Spirit, paraclete. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That's biological DNA. That which is born of spirit is spirit. That is born again. The Holy Spirit makes you a child of God through the new birth and gives power to obey Father God. And you need that power with a willing heart, not a rebellious spirit. He may have created you, but he is not your real father until you are born of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, and let's pick it up at 17 again. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. You can know God the same way Jesus Christ knew God. You can know God the same way he did. You can know him as a faithful child serving in his kingdom. I have pursued the knowledge of God my entire life. I have found him in my heart when I repented of my sins and in forgiveness that he made on the cross for me was earned for me by Jesus Christ. This experience only made me want to know more about God. I searched for God in the scriptures. I asked for wisdom even as Solomon did. I searched for him in my studies as I submitted to the teachings and instructions of scholarly men and women. I searched for God in lives and examples of saints around me who have walked this earth. I searched for him in signs, wonders, and miracles. I have searched for him in a purpose for my life for which I was made. I have searched for him at gravesides and at times of great loss and sorrow. And in all of this, I have only caught a glimpse of his glory. Yet the Bible and the Holy Spirit tells us today if we are really going to know the fullness of who God is, it won't be just simply in the study of the word, and spiritual wonders. It won't be in moments of transfiguration. If we want to know more than just a glimpse of his glory, then it says we must be rooted and grounded in what? The Bible? Rooted and grounded in love of Jesus Christ. When you are filled up with the love of Christ, we will know God fully. This is the knowing that surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond words that I could share with you today. It is more than a charismatic event. You may ask, Pastor John, how do I experience this? Well, let me tell you what Jesus Christ said, not what I say. And in the saying to us what he has been saying to us have been redeemed by his blood and the true children of God, that we are not in rebellion His rule, but we want his full will in our life. He has told us who are born again that if we are going to know the fullness of God in our lives, then you must love God's family, God's house, God's family there's probably no greater passage for this great truth this morning than found in the book of first john four you can skip over to that section if you want it's found further on in your bible it's a small book so you're leafing you can quickly pass by it if you don't slow down real quick towards the end there first john chapter four and this whole section is just loaded i love this chapter of first john I'm only going to lift a few verses out of it because of time constraints today. But there are some important ones that talk about how, Pastor John, how do I experience this love of God? And in John teaches, uh, and I want you to understand, I believe this is John the Apostle, the, the beloved John, the one who, he's, he, he was the youngest, they would argue, and he uh, uh, Jesus loved him more than anybody else. I get it. John's the favorite. I understand all that stuff. So, when John writes about love, he really writes about love. Whether it's the Gospel of John or 1 John, this, this is key for him. And I'm telling you today, this is key for us, and I don't want you to miss it. Okay, 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not trust every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they belong to God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world we need to start taking this passage uh, very seriously. Not everyone who believes they are a Christian is really a Christian. Just because, you, you know, have you ever heard the expression, I'm self-declared? And then just because you self-declare yourself, so then everyone treats you that way. So I want to self-declare I'm rich. So everyone should give me loans and whatever I want. I'm self-declared that I'm intelligent. So whatever I want, I can self-declare. There are people who are self-declaring themselves Christians, but they're not Christians. I meet people all the time, especially younger people who are my children's age, and I ask them about where they are religiously, and they say, well, I take a little Buddhism, a little Christianity, a little Catholic, a little this and that. I throw it all together, and I'm finding what works for me and what is appropriate for me. And I said, well, I want you to understand how that sounds to me. Well, how does that sound to you? Well, that's like if you came to a mechanic and say, hey, I'm building a car. And the mechanic will say, well, have you ever built a car before? No, never have. (laughs) So you haven't had much experience in building cars. No. So that mechanic will shake their head and go like this. He said, you just haven't got a clue of what you're doing or what you're about. So in doing this when it comes to faith and what Christianity is anything that is self-made is not going to cut it Not everyone who is created by God has God as their true has God as their true father not everyone who has a spiritual experience is experiencing God There's been wide surveys done uh, people who are saved not saved church not church various religions all saying they've had uh, spiritual experiences, which they're very careful not to share with other people because they're not sure that everybody will understand. But just because you have having a spiritual encounter, and it could be a real spiritual encounter, doesn't mean that spiritual encounter is from God. So John is saying here, at the beginning of this chapter about love, test the spirits. Make sure it's from God in all of these things. There is an evil that wants to twist and counterfeit all the good things that God is doing. In a world of imitations and counterfeits, you have to test every spirit, including my own and yours. That is why since the day I came here, I've asked the first question. And some of you, I've asked you in person. It's a question I keep asking is, tell me your born again story. And if you don't have one, then you need one to be a part of the family of God. For your creator to become Father God, you need a born-again story. This is a test. Everyone who is born again does not overcome the twists and the perversions of the enemy right away. Some of you, many of you have been born again. I know that. You know the Lord and everything else. Did all your problems just disappear on the day you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? There's no problems after that. Have you ever had any troubles in how you thought or what was true or wrong? Oh, Listen, I've been around long enough to know that the battle doesn't end on that day. It goes on. Everyone who is born again has to deal with the consequences of a rebellious world. Even after being saved from your sins, you can still believe in lies. Did you know that? And the enemy may have uh, influence on your life that you have surrendered because you believe in deception. Some are even false prophets, according to this passage. He said, and there will be many in the last days. And because we're warned of this, and because rebellion was great, we have to test every spirit. So how do we test spirits? How do we discern what is God and what is not? How do I test even my own attitudes of my own heart? Further down in 1 John 4, it was revealed in verse 6. Let's read that. We belong to God, it says in verse 6. Anyone who does knows God listens to us, while anyone who does not belong to God refuses to hear us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit. Another principle of discernment. How do you know the spirit of truth and how do you know the spirit of deceit? Well, we belong to God. Anyone does not listen to us does not belong to God. This may be a very hard verse to understand, so I want to make it really simple. What has made it complicated in all our in our lives understanding this passage is the many church fights that have happened over two thousand years. We have created tests for each other, which we judge each other whether you're a true Christian or not. And there are very poor spiritual tests. I grew up in a group where we were holiness and we had tests and some of them were really silly. And one of them was if do you wear a necktie? I don't wear a necktie. And this was a sign it was holy. But a lot of the rural people who uh, were saved in our movement uh, didn't like bankers, and bankers always wore ties. And they believed that bankers were evil at heart. So how could you wear a tie and be a Christian? That's what they believed. (laughs) There were tests about whether you put your riches ahead of God. And uh, people of my parents' age would take off their gold rings and throw them in the offering plate, and not adorn themselves in any way they wanted to be holy, and they thought that was the test. We have had tests about how often you attend church, whether you were baptized correctly, whether you believe in the right doctrines, or whether you believe in the wrong doctrines, and we have had one test after another. So when we read this passage, we really get confused because we wonder which one of these tests are we referring to when we say they don't hear us, they don't listen to what we are saying. Do we wear the right clothes? Do we act the right way? Do we believe the right things? Do you support the right cause? Do you have the right spiritual gifts? Even that was a test. These are just a few of the tests that I know of throughout the history of the church. So how do we discern between the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of deceit, which is the enemy that whispers his lies to us? It is very simply in this passage, our belonging to God. That's it. Our belonging to God. To put it simply, I will believe a brother over a stranger any day. If I know Jesus Christ, if I look for Christ and I know that Christ is dwelling in that person, and that person is born again, I will trust them over a stranger any day. For I trust Christ. And I look for the person that belongs to Jesus Christ. If there is a false spirit in that brother, I discern it by any attitude that is not Christ-like. The golden rule I use to measure a brother, a sister, or on my own spirit is this. In 1 John 13, 15, no one has greater love than this, that he lay down one's life for one's friends. Do you belong to God? There are a lot of people I've met down through the years they feel that God belongs to them. And that is the bedrock of deceit. The truth is, and you're only really a part of the family when you belong to God. Is your house his house? Is your family his? Is everything under his rule? How do I know that? How do I know that people really love God? Is because if I love the way Jesus Christ loves, then I put people ahead of myself. i say, what do you need? What can I do for you? I've seen a lot of that love here, even this last week. I am getting tired of wearing suits for funerals. I am been going about, but I got to tell you, you guys love. Now don't get too puffed up on me, but you do. You love. You love the Lord. You're there when people are in need. You care for them. You discern carefully what is really needed. You're there day in, day out. And uh, we have committees who just do nothing but that and they find new ways of sharing that love with others. Jesus taught that it is his very nature to put the needs of others ahead of his own. Is it not that very nature of Jesus Christ? To put our needs ahead of his own. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When I encounter that attitude in myself or in another that refuses uh, to love in this way, then I have found a spirit of deceit that puts myself ahead of others. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 drives us home. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. Everyone who loves is begotten by God. Are you getting this? And knows God. Whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. Now I got to speak to you as modern postmodernists out here, when you see that word love up there, it isn't what you've been taught. It isn't any self-serving thing. It isn't human love that we're talking about in this passage. It is the love of God which surpasses any love you could conjure up. You might think of romantic love and erotic love, love of family, of brothers and sisters. This is beyond that. Well, John, tell me about the love of God. Well, I can tell you about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and everything else. We just sang a song this morning that if I were to start to write everything there is about the love of God, there wouldn't be enough words. We would drain the oceans. We read in the passage earlier, it says, this is a love that goes beyond words. It's beyond understanding. But it's not beyond your experience. It's who you belong to. When you are born again and you invite the Holy Spirit into your life through the forgiveness of sins, you receive the love of God in you. And all that it means, that gave Jesus Christ all its, his power and authority and all his wonder, it flowed from that core. And you get it when you are born again. I can't tell you and fully explain what it's all is, but I can tell you it's not what you've known. It is something completely different. The only way to know it is to experience it. And the only way to experience it is to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Discernment begins with knowing the love of God through Jesus Christ. You measure your own conflicted soul by that standard every day. And we test the spirits of others by that powerful presence of God's love in our spirit. There is no better test by which spirits are tested. And this is made painfully clear in a book called 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know this one? Again, all these verses you could quote to me. Let's just look at the first uh, seven of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but I don't have love, God's love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge... If I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own away to missions and YWAM trips. If I had my body over so that I may uh, to to die, you know, if I give away everything I own, if I hand my body over so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over an injury. Have you ever complained to someone this week about someone's dead to you? It does not rejoice over wrongdoing like they do on Fox News and other things. But it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. I can think of a better passage by which to test my own spirit or any other spirit that I encounter. If I don't know that you love me with a Christ-like love, spiritual manifestations mean nothing. Our knowledge, all the degrees you could collect, are worthless. Your sacrifices changes nothing. If we do all these religious things with a jealous, pompous, inflated, ruthless, self-seeking spirit, we have a spirit of deceit living within our hearts. Show me patience. Show me kindness, the bearing of wrongs with endurance, and I will learn to trust the spirit of love that reflects the heart of Jesus Christ within you. 1 John 4 goes on to say this in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. Yet if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is brought to perfection in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us, that he has given us his spirit. And you get that by being born again. Are you putting all the dots together now? Verse 16, God is love. Whoever remains in love remains in God, and God in him. God's house, God's family. If you want to be in this family, you must be born again. Tell me your story. If you don't have a story, come up to the front after the service, and I and the elders will show you how to be born again, and you'll walk out of here a child of God. There's no reason not to. We can show you how. If you want to know the fullness of God in your life, learn to love like Jesus Christ. Let him teach you what that is through his Holy Spirit. Test your own spirit, the others and other spirits, by the DNA of the love of God. Reject the spirit of deceit that is a jealous, pompous, inflated, rude, self-seeking spirit. Embrace the Holy Spirit of truth, which displays kindness, patience, long-bearing, wrongs, and endurance. This is the commandment we find in 1 John 4.21. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also also love his brother. We must love one another. And by this, we know the love of God. We're going to wrap up this service with a prayer, and then we're going to dismiss. But as we do so, we want you to know that I and, and the elders will be up front to pray for you. And we would love to hear your born-again stories. If you're not sure, we would like to discern with you, test the spirits to know if you're born again. If you know you're not born again and you want to be, there's no reason for you not to be. We can help you be born again today to know the joy that we have known in our lives. There is no greater thing. You might be worried about your money and your health and your finances and your uh, what other people think about you today, but I'm going to tell you this is the last thing you will ever need. It's the first thing you ever need. There's nothing more important this day than to know the love of God, Father God, as your Father, and to turn away from rebellion and turn to his obedient will in your life. If you could do that today, we would be happy to be here with you. This is your invitation. So in a moment, you're going to all be distracted and uh, everyone will be talking to you. But if you know you need to do this, uh, just say, excuse me, i got to go up front. And come up here and we'll be here waiting for you. My promise to you is that I will be here as long as it takes. If there's a line of people and you still want to talk, please be patient and wait. And uh, be patient and kind. We'll put others ahead of yourself, but we will stay here. If, this, if I'm still here next week, that's fine. We'll just stay, and we'll get this work done, right? This is important. Would you stand with me, and let's close in a prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that is with us all the time, for the message that we have heard today, and what you intend to do in our midst. We thank you, Lord, for what you are speaking to each heart, for how the Spirit is tested by the love of God. We know that a lot of things will come and go and mountains will fall into the sea and things we have counted on will all fall away. But we know this one rock that we build on, Lord, will never crumble. This foundation of Jesus Christ on which every believer builds will never pass away. And we thank you, Lord, that we can begin again on that foundation. We can know for sure. I pray, Lord, that uh, no one would leave here today that's unsure who needs that in their life. I pray, Lord, they would receive it today, that they'd be willing to do that work. I pray your blessing on every person here, on every soul and every heart. I pray for your will to reign and to be mighty over them. Lord, I pray that you would take this mighty army of God and in their prayer rooms that you would be very close and present with them, that you would empower their every prayer, that they might be rooted and grounded in the love of God. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. We are a Christ-centered church with all kinds of opportunities to reach out to the communities. It is our desire to direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ the source of all life, hope, and true transformation. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. We are a non-denominational evangelical congregation so all are welcome coffee and snacks are served children's church and child care are available